So John, of all people, would know whether he was really the, the true one or not. And John was the one who testified, and we'll see that next week. He said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God the Father revealed it to John, to John the Baptist. My cousin, are you serious, Lord? Oh, that makes sense. You know, i never seen him talking back to Mary and Joseph. i never seen him stealing. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. This man the gospel calls John the Baptist bore witness of the light that all through him who was that light might believe. John the Baptist's work was deliberately focused on bringing people to faith in Jesus the Messiah and was remarkably well received and widely known. It was important for John, the gospel writer, to make it clear that John the Baptist was not that light, but that he pointed towards and bore witness of that light. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. He says, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and where I go you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, how do we know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. I am the Zoe. I am the life. I'm the life. In every possible facet of that life, I am physical, spiritual, perfection. I am all of that. That's what Jesus said. And notice back in our text, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. Or the literal meaning is the the darkness didn't overcome the light. Darkness cannot overcome or overpower the light. In Ephesians 5, it says, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Whenever something is exposed, that is light. That is light. And so I don't get upset when something is going on in my life and and it's exposed. Whatever that is, is light. And God loves you so much that he's not willing to have you go on in darkness. And at times he will expose those things. Because unless they're exposed, they're not going to get healed. And there's some marriages in this room. There's some marriages of people that are watching online that are in a very bad place. And you're not coming into the light. You're not seeking counsel. Your marriage is on the rocks. But instead of humbling yourself and asking for help and praying to God, maybe you are praying to God, but are you getting counsel 
so important. Has Jesus shined on your darkness? He shined on mine. And he's continuing to shine on my darkness. Any darkness within me, God is shining his light on, and he's doing the same for you. And a conscience is a wonderful thing. When you, when, God, when you were born, God gave you a conscience. You know the difference. You know when you're doing wrong, don't you? Unless your conscience is so seared, and we'll look at that shortly, you know the difference. You have a conscience. He's continuing to shine on our darkness. Are you willing for the light to shine on your darkness? Because God's not going to force it. He's not going to force you. Whatever makes manifest is light. Let it be let the light shine upon it that it could be healed. As long as it stays in the darkness, it will never ever get better. It will only only get worse. That is the truth about life. And it even is a law of nature. I think spiritually and even physically, the law of thermodynamics, things are always in a state of decay. That's why a marriage can never go on autopilot. You go on autopilot, and you may think you're just going like this, but you're actually going like this. It has to be worked on. It has to be developed. It has to be continued. Life needs to be breathed into it constantly. We need to be constantly challenged by that. Are you challenged by that? Are you willing to be challenged? We need it. What reason do you have for not believing in, trusting in, giving your heart and life completely over to Jesus Christ? What is your reason? Do you have a reason? But there are those who can become so calloused that they, they're beyond feeling. Paul, speaking to Timothy, said, Now in the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, which we are living in, by the way, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This word seared is, uh, let me see if I can pronounce this, because it's important that I do, because it sounds like another word, cauteriazo, or cauteriazo is the name of the word. It's where we get the word cauterize. Somebody who has a seared conscience is someone who is beyond feeling. They, they, they're just, they, and, and I've met people like this. There's no remorse whatsoever. They can go out and kill somebody, and they're like, when's well, time for lunch? You know, there's just, they got a seared conscience, and that doesn't happen overnight. Those are choices that are made little by little. But this word literally means to render in, unsensitive. It, it's, it's just seared. To where the light of the gospel has no effect on them anymore. They don't want it to have an effect. It kind of reminds me of Pharaoh. When it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart a number of times, and God, and then it finally says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He cauterized it. He said, is that what you want, Pharaoh? Is that the way you're going to live? And be careful what you ask for, right? Because you just might get it. That's why it's so important that our hearts are soft and pliable, and we're constantly letting the word of God water it and soften it. And guys and, our, and ladies in our marriages, let it be softened. Soften, soften. Let the Spirit, let the water of the Word soften our hearts. Soften our hearts. You do not want to have a seared conscience. I pray that nobody here has a seared conscience. But make no mistake, it's little decisions that you make that bring you to a place where your heart is so hardened, it's seared, But God, amen.
but God. Notice there was a man, verse 6, sent from God whose name was John. We know this is John the Baptist. This is not John the, the Apostle that he's speaking of here. This was a cousin to Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35 and 36, it tells us that, that Elizabeth was a cousin of Mary. And when they had their child, John the Baptist, I mean, we call him John the Baptist. They just called him John But we call him John the Baptist because he was the one who baptized. It was a baptism of repentance. We know that. And again, John and Jesus were related. And again, what great credibility does this give to the message? This one who knew Jesus. They probably went up to the temple at different times in the year because they would travel often in families and caravans as they would go up to Jerusalem. Jesus knew John, and John knew Jesus. And what better person to know whether Jesus was really perfect or not, whether he was the Messiah or not? Do you understand that even, say, uh, you know, in their teenage years, if John and Jesus were together, and Jesus said, hey, let's go over to the country store and steal bubble gum, which I did, by the way, when I was little. Of course, you did, too. Um. If there was any time where there was darkness in him, if there was sin in his life, John could say, you know what, this is clearly not the one. But the Bible says that Jesus was without sin. Even when, as a young person, he obeyed his parents. He was perfect. He was perfect. And there's the example for us. Of course, yes, he's God in the flesh, but he demands that of us too. And the Spirit of God in you, now you have the capability to do it. And when you blow it, we have an advocate in heaven. We can go to him and confess, right? And he washes it away. What greater thing could that be? So John, of all people, would know whether he was really the the true one or not. And John was the one who testified, and we'll see that next week. He said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God the Father revealed it to John, to John the Baptist. My cousin, are you serious, Lord? Oh, that makes sense. You know, I never seen him talking back to Mary and Joseph. I never seen him stealing. I never seen him do a, oh my goodness. How could I have missed that? And all of a sudden, the scriptures start aligning. The, the, the Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah and Micah and all these scriptures. This is him. This is him. Good grief, he was, he was born in Bethlehem. Micah said that. Isaiah said that he would, wow, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That was Mary. Everyone was concerned that maybe she had a night out in the town and didn't tell Joseph. No, the Spirit of God implanted that seed in Mary. That was a virgin birth, a very critical tenet of our faith, by the way. Joseph, there was no Joseph's blood in Jesus. I love what it says in Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's who Jesus was. So this man came for a witness, verse 7, back in our text, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. You know, how unfortunate it is that you'd have to bring somebody's attention to the light. You know, you turn on the light and it gets your attention, doesn't it? But when the light came into the world, the darkness didn't comprehend it. And this is a further indictment against man. What does it say in Psalm 14? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In fact, in the original Greek, it just says, 
no God, or in the original Hebrew, excuse me, it just says no God. The fool has said in his heart, no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And this is supposed to build your esteem. I don't know if you can feel that yet. But they have done abominable works. There's none that's done good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And what is his reply? They have all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Boy, that just blows holes in my, my pride ship. Blows holes in my pride ship. That's really who I am. That's why I received Christ. That's why you received Christ. You knew in your heart. That's why we need to be born again. Are you born again? Jesus didn't say, this is probably a good idea. No, he said, you must. You must be born again. It's not a, something that you might want to think about once you retire. Before you go to Florida and play golf and fish, Probably, good, probably a good idea. You might want to think about it. It's a really good idea. You might want to receive Christ and be born again. But, you know, no, he said you must. You must be born again. And John's ministry, we're going to look more at him next week, but his ministry was really summed up. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, getting people prepared. And basically what John was going to do is he was going to grab these people that he had baptized and says, Here, Jesus, now she's yours. I've done all I can. I've prepared the way for you. Now you take her. And that's what he said. That's what he did with his disciples. That's when his disciples were hanging around. And we'll see this next week or in the following weeks. There he is, the Son of God. Follow him. John knew his ministry was over. Six months. God had a great plan for him, and he followed it. And it cost him everything. But do you think John is upset right now in glory, going, man, I wished I would have done something different with my life. Wish I would have gone to college and become a lawyer. No, John said, you know what? If I could go back and do it all over again, I would do it a million times over. Because now he's in the very presence of the one. Verse 8, he was not that light. John the Baptist was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness of the light. And he was the forerunner. The word witness is martyrio, which is where we get our word martyr from. This is somebody who literally has evidence. They have evidence. They've obtained the good report of what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've handled. And even in a court of law today, the greatest witness is an eyewitness. That, that, an eyewitness holds the most credibility of any other witness. The person who says, I've seen it with my own eyes. I was there. I've got an, I, there's no alibi. I was there. I saw it. In fact, that other person eyewitnessed too of the same exact thing. That is huge in a court of law. And John the Baptist saying, I am an eyewitness. And so were many others, eyewitnesses. This was not something that was handed down through the ages and slowly tampered with. No, this was. These were eyewitness accounts. Read the preamble to the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Eyewitness accounts, folks. None of this business of handing stuff down years and over years and everything getting corrupted. No, it wasn't like that. The, 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 the people in the academia want you to believe that because if they believe in a God, then they've got to change their whole theology. 
They can't teach evolution anymore once they believe that Jesus is God. He says, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Every man who comes into the world. In 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness. Jesus is the true light. In John eight twelve, it says, I am the light of the world, Jesus says, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light, light of life. I'm so thankful that the light of God is inside of my heart by the presence of the Holy Spirit, aren't you? I'm so glad for the Spirit of God changing me daily, conforming me to the image of Christ as he is you. Do you realize what a, what a privilege that is? What a blessing that is? Are you taking advantage of it? Does he have more of you today than he did yesterday? Let him have more of you today than he did yesterday. Give your heart completely, unreservedly over to Jesus Christ. He is the only one that we have to do. He is the only one. Amen? In verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Notice, we read that passage in Colossians chapter 1. Everything was made through him, and by him, and for him were they created. In him all things consist, and the world did not know him. What a shame that the, the creator, the one who created all things, comes to his creation, and they're like, who are you? <laughs> Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. Jesus came through the Jewish line, through the line of Judah, through the line of David. Matthew and Luke's genealogy show us these things. He came to his own. He came to the Jews first, and they did not receive him. Rather, they rejected him. And what did Jesus say in Matthew thirteen fifty seven? He says, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. They rejected him. The people of Nazareth, as he was preaching in a synagogue, he would heal on the Sabbath, and they would reject him because he broke their law. You know, sometimes... People just need to relax <laughs> and trust the Lord. You know, he's so much better. He's so much more gracious than anything you can possibly imagine. People think, you know, everything is starched with him. Everything is like, oh, you better follow the law. I'm going to crush you like a grape. And he's like, just relax and enjoy him. And you know what? I believe the more you do that, the more you'll be walking in the spirit. Following him. I used to be so uptight about being, you know, right with God. And then finally one day it hit me. It's like, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm praying to you. I'm asking you to do this in my life to conform me, to cleanse me from my sin. And there's nothing I can do to make it happen any quicker. Do you understand? We just got to relax, pray, and do. <laughs> and enjoy. It's really a funny thing because it's, it's something that everybody trips over. The first big hurdle is believing that you can be saved just by believing in Jesus Christ. That was the big stumbling block for Jews and Greeks. And then once you get beyond that, discovering his will for your life and how to walk in this newness of life, how to walk in this new life, being born again. How do I walk now? Well, it's a little simpler than what you might think. And isn't it true that it's all very simple but yet intensely profound at the same time? It is. 
It's simple yet profound. And, and I think the, we can enjoy it more the moment we can just let go and say, you know what, I'm tired of stressing and fighting and kicking. I want to surrender, Lord, my will to you. Have you surrendered to him? Surrender your will to him. Surrender everything to him and say, Lord, I don't want to be afraid anymore. I don't want to be afraid anymore. I want to be useful. I can't even do it, Lord. Help me. And a heart like that, what does the Bible say? A broken and a contrite heart, he will no way despise. And a bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoking flax, he will not quench. Just the little steps. Take the little step today and the little step tomorrow. And God is going, I'm so blessed, so blessed. Keep going. Keep going. I wonder if there's like a a pep rally around us when we do right things. A spiritual pep rally. The angel's going, look what, look what he did. He did something right. God, look. He did something right. He actually did what you said. A miracle. <laughs> and other times he's like, oh, I've got to send three or four more angels. These guys are going to get paid time and a half. Can you get this guy out of the way? Can you get Rob out of the way? He's trying so hard. He's stumbling. He's got slobber all over his face. He's just a mess. Can you clean him up? Somebody just give him a rag and wipe his face off. Take him off in a stretcher and tend to his wounds. But for heaven's sake, do something with that individual. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right. And I love this. This means the privilege. In the original language, it's, it's a right, but it's a privilege. As many as received him, have you received Christ? It is a privilege to become a child of God. What a great thing. The greatest of all privileges is to be a child of God, to have that moniker. I'm a child of God. What a blessing. So glad to be a child of God. Before I was a child of hell. I was. Filthy, rotten scoundrel that I used to be. But God, but God, and maybe you were a filthy, rotten scoundrel. Anybody? Raise your hand if you were a filthy, rotten scoundrel. Okay, only two people. Okay, that's good. No, I'm just kidding. Those online are going, only two people? No, most of us raised our hand. That's a prerequisite to being a child of God, is knowing that you're in need of a healer, that you're in need of a savior. People who are well don't need a Savior because they already know Jesus, but those who are ill, they need him. He's a, he's a physician, the great physician. The fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you're a born-again believer today is no mistake. God knew that you would give your heart to him. He knows this. He knew this. And those who... <laughs> the only difference is that God who lives outside of time, he's able to foresee the choices that we've made. He doesn't control you in the sense of making you do anything. Love doesn't do that. And God who is love doesn't force you to do anything. You have a choice to make. In marriage, you have a choice. After, you know, the feeling is great when it's there. Everybody loves the feeling of love. And that's, that's easy. When that happens, you don't even have to, you know, it just takes over. But real love is when maybe you don't feel the warm fuzzies. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.